So with that in mind, I direct your attention to the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning there, verses 14 and 15, I do want to say a thank you, a great big thank you to Sister Desiree Smith, who introduced Sign Choir to us in the first place. And um, they, are, they are going to be deployed again this year. They'll be leaving us in a few months. So this today was Sister Desiree's last sign choir with the junior sign choir with the children. It was her last time with the children. And what a phenomenal job she has done working with these kids. And we're going to miss the Smiths incredibly. And I'm going to talk to God about this. Amen. Because God can fix things nobody ever thought could be fixed. <laughs> Sometimes we're not, we may not like how he fixes it, but, uh, but when we're done, when he's done with us, we'll see why he did it, and we will love why he did it. Can you say praise the Lord? <laughs> Hosea 2.14 Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. <clears throat> and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt no more call me Bailey. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Touch and move, I ask God, for the Word to be the anointed Word of God today, and that you would speak to our hearts and souls. In the mighty name of Jesus, release the Word of God to your people today, and let the anointing be on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Shake a few hands. Greet somebody as you're being seated. I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, a place or a valley called hope. We read in our text of scripture here the words of a lover to his beloved. Imagine the days of yore, far, bar, far gone for someone of my age, when in the grip of passion and romance and courtship, one would be able to relate to and understand this pull of the lover for his beloved. I will take her from a place far removed from everyone else. I will allure her. I will speak comfortably to her. And I will shower her with gifts and everything her soul delights. I love her so much. <clears throat> and... Uh, I'll, I'll say this and pass quickly, but you know, when you're in that state of mind, love poems and sonnets come easily, especially to creative people, and I have somewhere, my wife has a shoebox full of them, 
And over the years, I, I, I hate to admit this, but they've come in ever lesser quantity. But when they come, there's more quality <laughs> and more truth, <laughs> amen, than in any time in the past. But still, what I want to really show you this morning is how much he loves us. Oh, how he loves you and me. To borrow a phrase from David Crowder. Oh, how he loves you and me. The contemporary English version reads this. Israel, I, the Lord, will lure you into the desert and speak gently to you. I will return your vineyards and then trouble valley will become hopeful valley. You will say yes to me as you did in your youth when leaving Egypt. I promise that from that day on, you will call me your husband instead of your master. And I will no longer even let you mention the names of the pagan gods you call master. You will call me Ishi, hubby, instead of Baal, Lord and master. I'm going to win you back. Hallelujah. Hosea was a prophet of the northern kingdom. And he speaks of its king as our king. His message was to the northern kingdom. And it had an occasional reference to Judah. And in so doing, God is encompassing all of his people, the seed of Abraham. If you know your Bible, your Bible history, you know that the northern kingdom rebelled from the southern kingdom, Judah. And had 19 kings or dynasties, not one of them served God. From the very first one down to the last one, not one of them served God. It was in that kingdom that the climate arose for such a king known as Ahab and his wife Jezebel to rule and reign in the land. So this was the culture and this was the spiritual climate that the prophet Hosea was uh, ministering to. His ministry was took place about 40 years before the end of the northern kingdom. It took place under the reign of King Jeroboam II when he was at the zenith of his power. And Hosea was a younger contemporary of the prophet Amos, who was older than him. And while at the same time, uh, Hosea was older than other contemporaries known as Isaiah and Micah. He might even, as a child, have known the prophet Jonah, who was much, much older than them all. The northern kingdom was now about 200 years old, and the golden calf was its national emblem and its national religion, its God. If you remember, the nemesis of Aaron and Moses, when Moses was on the mount for 40 days, talking to God and getting the plans for the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments. When he came down off the mountain, what did he find? He found that Aaron had taken the gold that had been uh, taken from the Egyptians by the Israelites when they left Egypt and had formed a golden calf, an idol, an image, a Baal, a lord and a master. And the people were worshiping around that image. That was nothing more or less than the very image of a Canaanite deity whose religion was a fertility cult and the people of God were shaming themselves around that idol. No wonder Moses was so disgusted 
with what he saw, the behavior that he saw, that he threw down the Ten Commandments, engraved by the hand of God himself, and smashed them on the ground in his anger. There is a divine anger against sin and all of its wickedness that is so pervasive in our culture and our surrounding. God is not happy. He's not happy with it. But this is about something else. And so, Hosea was commanded to marry a, a prostitute. His whole marriage experience was designed to reflect the nature of Israel to God. Israel being God's espoused bride. The one he was engaged to be married to. Imagine being engaged to be married to somebody. And I know this has happened. I know it's happened recently. I know stories where a young fellow be engaged to a woman and on the eve of the, of the marriage, of the wedding, it's discovered that his wife was being unfaithful uh, to him to, with another man all the while planning on the morrow to marry him. What a time and what a world we live in when this kind of behavior is becoming very, very commonplace. He began his life with all the classic handicaps and disadvantages. His mother was powerfully built, a dominating woman. She found it difficult to love anyone. She had been married three times, and her second husband divorced her because she beat him up regularly. The father of the child I'm describing was her third husband, who died of a heart attack a few months before the child's birth. As a consequence, the mother worked long hours from his earliest childhood. She gave him no affection, no love, no discipline, no training during all those early years. She forbade him to call her at work no matter what he needed. Other children had little to do with him, so he was a loner, alone most of the time. He was absolutely rejected from his earliest childhood. He was ugly, he was poor, he was untrained, he was unlovable. When he was 13 years old, the child psychologist commented that he probably didn't even know the meaning of the word love. During his adolescence, girls would have nothing to do with him, and he fought with the boys. And despite a high IQ, he failed academically and finally dropped out during his third year of high school. He thought he might find acceptance in the Marine Corps. They reportedly built men, and he wanted to be one. But his problems went with him. The other Marines laughed at him and ridiculed him. He fought back. He resisted authority. He was court-martialed and thrown out of the Marines with an undesirable discharge. So there he was, a young man in his early 20s, absolutely friendless and shipwrecked. He was small and scrawny in stature, had an adolescent squeak in his voice. He was balding. He had no talent, no skill, no sense of worthiness. He didn't even have a driver's license. Once again, he thought he could run from his problems, so he went to live in a foreign country, but he found himself rejected there as well. Nothing had changed. But while there, he married a girl who herself had been an illegitimate child. He brought her back to the U.S. with him. Soon, she began to develop the same contempt for him that everyone else had displayed. 
She bore him two children, but he never enjoyed the status and respect that a father should have. His marriage was crumbling. His wife demanded more and more things which he could not provide. Instead of being his ally against the bitter world as he had hoped, she became his most vicious opponent. She could outfight him, and she learned to bully him. And on one occasion, she locked him in the bathroom as a punishment, and finally she forced him to leave. He tried to make it on his own, but he was terribly lonely. And after years of solitude, he went home and he literally begged her to take him back. He surrendered all pride. He crawled. He accepted humiliation. He came on her terms. Despite his meager salary, he brought her $78 as a gift and asked her to take it and spend it any way she wished, but she just laughed at him. She belittled his feeble attempts to support the family in front of a friend. At one point, he fell on his knees and wept bitterly as the great darkness of his private nightmare enveloped him. And finally, in silence, he pleaded no more. No one wanted him. He would beg no longer. No one had ever wanted him. He was perhaps the most rejected man of our time. His ego lay shattered in dust. The next day, awoke, and he was strangely different. He arose, went to the garage, took down a rifle he had hidden there, and carried it with him to his newly acquired job at a book storage building in Dallas, Texas. And from a window on the third floor of that building, shortly after noon on November 22, 1963, he sent two bullets crashing into the head. President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. You know who I'm talking about. A man named Lee Harvey Oswald. And now you know his backstory. A time of discouragement. A person of trouble. A person in trouble. A person that no one had a healing or helping touch for. No one loved him, but had someone loved him even a little, had he found even a modicum of acceptance, might he not have been inspired to succeed rather than to surrender to absolute failure? There is a great power in redeeming love. No one really knows the depth that one can fall to without it and with rejection and without acceptance. No one knows the depth that humanity can plunge to. But what one card of hope can resurrect from the darkness of despair that all of life implodes downward upon someone. One string of hope and help can bring them up and out and cause them to sparkle with a renewed effort and to finally succeed where everyone else had described and ascribed to them failure and to make it when no one else thought they could. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter how dark the day, no matter how dark the night, no matter how deep the pit, no matter how 
awesome and ultimate the rejection, the failure, the discouragement, the disappointment. There is someone who loves us. He loves us so much. And He has done more than provide the mere spider web of a string of hope. He has done more than that. He went to the cross and died for us so that we, He would know how we felt in every respect and the ultimate rejection of humanity against everything decent and godly and good. He experienced it and knows what it feels like. Oh, how He loves you and me. There is no pain so deep that He does not understand, does not appreciate, has not experienced the feeling and the emotion of nothing, nothing that binds you and me and holds us in deep darkness that He doesn't feel sensitive about. And two, He can come up beside us and not be empathetic uh, but, and not be just sympathetic, but empathetic. Because He has felt it. He knows how we feel. And He wants to shoulder that burden with you and with me. Hallelujah. No wonder the Bible says, Cast your cares upon Him, for He careth much for you. Hallelujah. Everything that's keeping you from being the man or the woman you know you are. You know you want to be. You know you should be. You know you can be. Everything that's keeping you from being the person God wants you to be. And you believe. God believes you can be. Everything that's holding you back. All those emotions. All that darkness. All that. All that. He wants to take it from you. If you will surrender it to Him, He will take it from you and make you to see you can be what He wants you to be. Oh, let's give God a hand praise. Hallelujah. You see, Baal was a cruel God. He was a master of disaster. The God of storms. As you heard Brother Pollard say last Sunday, the master of disaster. An absolute authority. He was the Canaanite divinity of fertility. He was the golden calf. When you saw the golden calf, what you were worshiping was Baal. And Moses and Aaron struggled with that ancient nemesis of Israel. No sooner had she come out of Egypt after 430 years of bondage, slavery, cruelty, and death and been delivered by ten great plagues and a miracle of crossing the Red Sea. No sooner had she come back to the place of divine appointment at Mount Sinai than already she was struggling with her spiritual identity. Israel, the seed of Abraham, the promise of God to Abraham, 
The God of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had appeared to each of them, spoken to them, made promises and covenants with them. The God who had to date fulfilled those covenants and promises. The God who thought he had every right to be loved, honored, and appreciated. The God, amen, who had done everything God could do miraculously for this little group of people. And yet they struggled with their spiritual identity. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, how this might impact us and affect us. Someone said recently, and I I concur with this, there are two kinds of sin. There's a fleshy sin and there's a spiritual sin. And we're all flesh and blood, so let's face it, we have weaknesses, we have triggers, we have things that we struggle with. Paul called them besetting sins that we ought to lay behind and put behind us. But no matter how much we desire things to be different, we still are going to have moments and days and times when we say, think, and feel and do the wrong thing. Thank God God is a God of mercy and grace. And He loves us, wants to forgive us, wants to keep us in that relationship with Him. If it weren't for that, none of us could be here today. None of us could be saved. And Galatians, the fifth chapter, catalogs the works of the flesh. It juxtaposes them against the fruit of the Spirit. And there are many works of the flesh, but if you notice in verse 19, it starts off with moral sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, moral uncleanness, impurity. But then it graduates on to other kinds of sins, seditions, emulations, heresies, strife, envyings, which are more spiritual in nature. And uh, we may not be out there committing adultery or fornication or some such obvious great immorality in our life. And... uh, It is easier sometimes to dismiss or even miss those inward spiritual sins that are so common to us and so are unseen and only we and God know about them and sometimes only God knows about them because we don't really see them. Until he points them out to us, we don't really see them for what they are. But in every case, there ought to be more mercy For those who struggle with fleshy sins, there's more mercy, there's more understanding. The church needs to. Jesus set the example. He said, look, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And so we ought to be lenient with people who struggle with their flesh. We ought not to be pharisaical and and hypocritical and, and, and condemning of people who are obviously caught in a, in a fleshly failure or even a moral failure, as bad as it is, can be dealt with. It, it is not necessary to exclude that person forever from the kingdom of God or the church of God. In this church, there ought to be such that were some of you, but now you are justified. Now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified. But when we get into the area of spiritual sin, here's where it gets a lot darker. And when someone is connected to a spirit of sin, 
there's a problem for them and for everyone associated with them. Dathan and Korah, who rebelled against Moses and Aaron, there was a spirit there. They had a spirit get on them against leadership. Leadership had been appointed by God. Perfect leadership? No. Moses made his mistakes. We know that he made his mistakes. But God chose him. And that was the difference. Hallelujah. But that spirit got on them. And it's harder to dislodge a spirit than it is to deal with the flesh. Much harder and much more dangerous. And when Satan is involved in a spirit, hallelujah, amen, pride, hallelujah, is a spirit. Stubbornness is a spirit. Strife, emulations, backbiting, heresies can be spiritual things that can forever change the eternal destinies of people and churches and movements and groups. If a leader gets a spirit on him that takes his people away from Bible truth, everyone under him is in trouble. If the leader's heart and motive is pure and right before God and he's a Bible-centered preacher, something rises up in his congregation, the spirit gets on some people in his congregation that begin to attack the ministry and come against him. That's a spirit that it's harder to deal with than just the flesh. Much, much harder much more dangerous, and many souls have been lost. Hallelujah. Israel was spiritually confused about her identity. Hallelujah. And we, too, can fall into the trap of spiritual confusion about who we are and what we're supposed to be. Ultimately, The spirit of confusion is at work in our world and in our culture so that men don't know they're supposed to be men and women don't know they're supposed to be women. They think they can be the opposite sex. Even if they don't like it, they can change it. They can go to the doctor and change it. There's confusion in our society. Hallelujah. And sometimes we get spiritually confused about things. In, the, in that society, in that culture, in, in, the, in Israel, the northern kingdom, under Baal, under the golden calf, young women were expected to have sex before marriage with worshipers of their God. And they were called in that context temple prostitutes. And many of, many of the Israelite women were doing the same thing in Israel that the Canaanites had been doing for centuries. And... Hosea is commanded by God to find one of those girls and marry her. Marry this one. And this girl did not change ever. She did not change who she was. Even though she was a married woman, she kept going outside of the marriage, finding lovers outside of the marriage. Suddenly, he would wake up in the morning, she would be gone. Gone for a day. A week, sometimes months. He wouldn't know where she was. He would go searching for her. And finally, after a long quest and asking questions and being shamed and embarrassed, he would discover that she was with someone else new. And he would go to her and beg her, come home, come home with me, come home, 
Come on, I will treat you nice. I will buy you nice things. We'll have a great marriage. We'll have a great life. And uh, sometimes she would agree and come back. Usually when she was kicked out and down and out, it would be easier for her to come back. But at other times when she thought she was going to make it with her new lover, she'd give him a hard time. And then ultimately it would fail and she would come crawling back. And the whole point of Isaiah's ministry was a picture of what was going on between God and the one he loved, Israel, that was to be his espoused bride. His chosen one. This is what you're doing to me with your false gods, with your spiritual confusion. We have some words that come out of the book of Hosea. Jezreel and Hosea 1 and 4, which means God scatters seed. And in one case, in that context here, it's meant that God is going to scatter Abraham's seed, or Israel is going to be scattered and, 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 and dispersed throughout the nations. But later in verse 11, he uses the term Jezreel again, but this time it, the indication is that God wants to sow blessings upon his people. God wants to scatter manifold blessings and give great advantages to the one he loves. Listen to the heartbeat of a God who on the one hand grieves when we step away from him, and fall away from Him, and backslide, and move away from Him, and reject His loving advances. And at the same time, He's hurting and grieving. He's still loving us, and promising us that if we come home and return to Him, things are going to be great. Hallelujah. Lo Rohama is another name. One of his daughters was named Lo Rohama, which name means no mercy. Another daughter was named Lo Ami, which means not my people. Yet in Hosea 2 and 1, God said, So let your brothers be called my people, and your sisters be called shown mercy. So even though the children were named after things that God was saying, I'm not going to show you any mercy, and you're not my people, yet at the same time, God wants to reverse even his word of cursing upon us. If we walk away from him, there will be that divine curse and judgment and retribution. Yet, God is saying, if you return to me and come back to me, I will reverse what I said about you. Hallelujah. It won't be like somebody told me once, I take back half of what you, I said about you. And I said, which half? And he said, the good half. It won't be that way. Hallelujah. Trouble Valley. Trouble Valley. And the word in the King James is the Valley of Achor. I will make the Valley of Achor the gate of happiness or blessing. What was the Valley of Achor? It was the Valley of Achan, whose sin brought trouble to Israel. When he went in and took things dedicated to God from Jericho, where God said, all the spoil belongs to me, take none of it. And he took three items and hid them away. And when the people of God went to go to war spiritually, they were defeated by their enemy because Achan had sinned and disobeyed God and brought trouble upon the people of the Lord. That valley was the valley of trouble. The valley of Israel's trouble. The valley where confusion got us in trouble with God again. Hallelujah. 
But I will return your vineyards, and then Trouble Valley will become Hopeful Valley. And you will say yes to me as you did in your youth when leaving Egypt. Amen. I can turn it around. Your trouble, your difficulty, your disadvantage, your bad day, your no hope, I can turn it again. It'll become the gateway to another valley called the Valley of Hope. The valley of blessing. The valley of me scattering blessings upon you everywhere. Oh, let's give God a praise. Hallelujah. Have you ever felt like life at times seems like a tug of war? And that you're in a tug of war. If I were asked for a show of hands, I don't doubt that most of us would raise our hand. And say there's something tugging at me right now in my life. I'm fighting a tug of war. I pull one way, it pulls the other. Seems like the harder I pull, the harder it pulls back. And we can get in that. We can get in that mind and that mold set, which is a defeatist mindset. Here we are on one side of the creek. And our enemy team is on the other. And a rope joins us to the trouble that wants to drag us through the mud and the muck and the mire of the life and despoil us and rob us and hurt us. And some days we are winning because we gain an inch or two. But other days we give up six inches or a foot and we're losing. And our feet are digging in to the mud of the riverbank. Hallelujah. We're being tugged and pulled. Life can be a tug of war between you and your spouse, between you and your boss, between you and kids, between you and whatever, and between you and God, as well as you and the devil. It's a tug of war. Something's always going to pull on us. Something's always going to tug on us. But I got a word of God. I got a word from God for somebody here today. I have a word from God, which he gave me about two and a half weeks ago. And the word from God is this. If what you want from life is different than what the Lord wants from you, you have every reason to fear not receiving it. But if your life is dedicated to serving God's absolute will for you, you have no reason to fear that he will not provide you with everything you need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a word of God that he told me to say to this congregation and to speak it to your ear. Hallelujah. Amen. If we will surrender to God, everything to God that my life is not about building my purpose and my kingdom and getting what I want out of it but I understand that God is absolutely in charge he is totally in control and he can turn it any way he wants and I'm going to go along with God whatever he says whether it's through this valley or that valley or this way or that way no matter what happens I will trust in God and God will see me through And that, my friend, is all the difference between despair and hope. It's all the difference between giving up and failure and victory through faith in God. Oh, let's stand and give God a hand praise.
talking to a church now that has a future. We've had trouble. We've had dark days. We've had defeat, discouragement, and failure. But that is not who we are. And that's not who Jesus is. What he is and wants for us is bigger and better than anything we ever thought we would ever see. Hallelujah. Your trouble is God's invitation to come through the valley to the blessing, to the place of anointing and blessing and hope. That's what it is. Ooh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to read it again from the King James. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Acre for a door of hope. You see, as long as you are pulling on that rope and being tugged and pulled, you don't know how it's going to end up or how it's going to turn out. And, 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 and you're worried that you're going to fail and you're going to lose. And there are days when you're convinced that it's more than likely you will lose this tug of war. And there are days that Satan drags you to your knees and you're covered with mud and the water of the river is lapping around you and you really feel like you cannot possibly make it. Hallelujah. It's undecided, but let me tell you, hallelujah, that you cannot get to that valley that God has promised you unless you go through a door called hope. There is a door called hope. Hallelujah. And we have got to go through that door in order to get from God what he's promised us. If we're going to be a typically glass half empty kind of guy or gal, we're never ever going to see what hopeful valley looks like. Paul said in Romans 5 and 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed in our broad hearts by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have got to surrender that negative attitude that you earned in Trouble Valley. This is not to diminish the fact that you had trouble or you are having trouble. Hallelujah. This doesn't take away from the fact that you got hurt, that you were wounded, that you had trouble, uh, and that you're grieving and that you're bruised. You're going to feel like Hosea some days whose wife is cheated on him. Umpteenth time. Hallelujah. But oh, my friend, Christ was crucified on the cross. 
Yes. Many of thousands of early Christians were fed to lions and burned at stakes. Everything isn't always going to be as we would want it to be. And it isn't always going to be easy. And it's not always going to turn out the way we thought it should. But even in death, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Before, 
you've ever done anything for me before, I need you now. And he laid his hands on that baby and prayed. And he told me in the hospital, he said, I felt the power of God go right through my arm into right that through baby. My body. Right through my body into that baby. And when I did say it, I prayed on her. When I did, her eyes opened. And she let out a breath. God raised her from the dead. And when he took her to the hospital, amen, for tests and observations, she came back normal. Not a thing wrong with that baby. where he wants us to be but sometimes it's where we put ourselves because we do not know what our spiritual identity is now take that tug of war rope in your mind and heart yank it as hard as you can and say devil on my side no one loses I never can lose you can pull all you want but I can never lose. I will win because on my side is Jesus. And I have hope in him. Oh, let's come to the altar and pray. Let's come and pray. Let's believe God for miracles. Hallelujah. Let's come and pray. Maybe somebody heard this is a word of God for your life. You're fighting. You're discouraged. God has the answer. Come and pray. We'll join you in prayer. We'll believe with you. God will turn your trouble into the gateway of hope. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's tarry one for another. Let's pray one for another. Come on, let's be faithful to one another. Help one another through.